0: This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog! Hello, small business warriors. I'm Joel Volk, and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. As I look back at my years in business, I remember that there are many, many times I needed a lawyer to just poke their nose in and take a look and see what they could do to help. Sometimes I just needed advice on a lease. Other times I needed to have a contract that a customer wanted me to sign or a vendor wanted me to sign and I wanted someone to look at it. Sometimes I had to worry about employment law. Other times I needed to change my corporation, make partnership agreements, things on that level. So I'm very proud that we are sponsored by a firm that specializes in these types of things for small businesses. Coincidentally, It's called the Small Business Law Firm. Scott Williams is the principal attorney at the Small Business Law Firm. He's the go-to guy for anything related to small business matters. I like to think of them as the Swiss Army knife for your business. So when you're ready, and even if you're not ready, keep it on hand because you might be ready sooner than you know. Call 855 5 BizLaw. That's 855-524-9529. Ask for Scott. Mention the Small BizCast. And remember, they're a great resource should things get ugly. Today's guest is Daniel Rosenberg of Alora Products. Alora's line of BDSM sex toys, ethically made from clean materials, was launched just weeks before the shutdown. Daniel's story of how he navigated the obstacles along with his religious roots makes this week's episode fascinating. As you listen to this interview of Small BizCast, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduced you to, like Daniel. Hopefully you'll laugh with us too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. So Daniel Rosenberg, he's the president, CEO, founder also of Alora Products. And uh, Alora Products is a company that makes... Yes,
1: yeah, so we make uh, cleaner sexual wellness products, currently focusing on bondage products particularly we identified it as a niche industry um, that was not taken over by any big companies like in medicine you have johnson and johnson it was kind of a space without any of that so we felt like being able to really create a brand in an area that lacked storytelling real quality materials and craftsmanship it's really an industry that's made up of crap and we just kind of identified a way to do it a little bit better.
0: So most companies, when they formed, they formed to solve a problem that they've identified. That's what you identified when you started this company. Tell me about that. What is, what is the problem with competitors that you solved by making your product line?
1: Well, I think uh, it comes from a multitude of things. I think brands in this space don't really care. They just found an industry and a, a product line that can make them a good amount of money
0: the industry pretty much exploits the fact that customers use these products probably don't complain when there's a problem because they don't want to call attention to themselves and they won't return a product if it's defective and you identified that and solving it with with your brand of products is that is that what I just heard you say
1: yeah I think that's a great way of explaining it i think we just i think it comes from marketing our products so everyone likes to market their products with sexuality and a woman and or a man on it some sort of sexually exploitive position we went away from all of that if most people who see our packaging think it looks something like an apple product not saying it's apple design level but it's more, it's much closer to what an Apple product would look like than what you would find in a sex store. So, gotcha. so
0: I want to back up a little bit because I do want to hear about the products, but I think your story, so, so the small bizcast is about the human side of running a business. And I think your story is, is fascinating, largely because it's something that I normally wouldn't bring up in a conversation about I wouldn't bring up a person's religion when they're running their business, except for when you and I were talking before the, the, before the podcast, you, you brought it up and it's such a fascinating thing. You're an observant Jewish man living, you know, how, how do you get, how do you juxtapose a, a, what some people would think of, when I think of Orthodox Judaism, I think of a piousness to it. That, and I don't think, I don't think of sexual oriented products as, as someone in that world. So Help me stop stuttering and <laughs> explain. So
1: you know, I definitely had a great upbringing. You know, Jewish Orthodox family um, went the typical Jewish son route and went to law school. Um, and but it really came down to um, just needing to do something fun. So I kind of ended up into ended up in an in industry that obviously. Wouldn't typically uh, consider, I guess, pious or, uh, like you said, or something that an Orthodox Jew would uh, get into. So um, you don't
0: see you don't see a lot of your yeshiva
1: brothers at the conventions, is
0: what I'm hearing you say.
1: What I will say is, you would be shocked <laughs> at the people you would see at these conventions, and um, the people who are there are from every walk of life. I think, unfortunately. We don't like to talk about sex, but everybody has it, or we'd all like to be having it. I think that's the reality of it. And even in Judaism, sexuality is a major thing. It's about being modest, but we still talk about sex. Um, There are ways to do it modestly. And I think that's partially uh, kind of why we've gone away from uh, having full sexuality on our website, any of our third party vendor sites where we sell our products. We really avoid, we don't use any nudity. So we really are focused on cleaner materials, but also just a cleaner industry. It's, it doesn't need to be grotesque. It doesn't need to be overtly sexual. Sex is beautiful. Um, I
0: noticed on your website, you had a whole section on sexual education. And I thought it was really interesting. And, I, and, and it started with a premise that, that the human being deserves to have beautiful sex. And you shouldn't know and I thought it was a very Jewish perspective, actually. And so I, I don't mean to make this a religious show at all, but I thought it was handled in a very tasteful and what you know, what I've seen in reading uh, Jewish, you know, Jewish literature, it's, it seems to be seems to fit in there. And so I wanted to compliment you on walking that tightrope. It seems like you're doing a good job of that from what uh, my little my limited understanding. <laughs>
1: No, I definitely appreciate that. Um, one thing I, I definitely want to mention is, uh, I forget the name of it, but in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, there is a sex store, and it's uh, based on the book Kosher Sex. It's the daughter of the rabbi who wrote that book, Kosher Sex, um, Rabbi Boteach. And uh, it's a store that sells sex uh, products, but again, everything cleaner, no nudity, um, really just from a modest perspective um so that's really what we're trying to do is everybody's having it everybody's doing it in some sort of way and there are a lot of products that can make that experience uh better for that particular person or uh for a variety of people did you practice law after you graduated law school uh so i did some uh i never practiced law um, I actually did not pass the bar exam and I actually had to make some decisions. Um, I was I married my high school sweetheart. We wanted to start having a family. Um, so I just got down to working, worked a little bit in business affairs and did some uh, business and legal affairs consulting work. Needed something more consistent, decided to become a Title IX investigator. Um, which- I don't know what that is. Yeah, uh, it was the worst experience of my life. Um, <laughs> uh, we were, I, I investigated uh, sexual assaults and harassments oh. on college campuses. Um, it, it's, uh, it was truly a terrible experience for a variety of reasons. Um, and I just needed something fun to do afterwards. Like, I needed, to do something fun, creative, intellectually stimulating, and something that could help me pay off my student loans. So when you uh, found this niche
0: and you found this need to fulfill and you realized there was a market for it, and you, at some point you had to tell your mom and dad uh, what, you were, <laughs> what you were doing. I gotta imagine there was a challenge or two with that.
1: I think my parents kind of understood. I, was, I had worked a few jobs I had done the typical route of going to law school, doing my career, like the career path, everything that I was supposed to do. And I was just miserable. Um, and I got approached to be able to like, do have this opportunity, able to have some fun, make some money and uh, be creative, do something different. I think my parents appreciated that aspect. Maybe not necessarily the products that I was making, but I was creating a brand. Creating a brand and a new company, you learn so many different things. You utilize so many different aspects of your education and things you've learned from jobs in the past, internships, um, and being able to put that into practice. I think building a brand and a company, you have to take everything you've ever learned, throw it into exactly what you're doing right now. Plus you have to learn a million other things to try and make it happen. And I've just found that more stimulating um, and more fun than uh, anything I've ever done. Tell me about the timeline.
0: First of all, how long has Allura been in business?
1: So um, we started the concept of being able to find, I I should say we, um, I have three silent partners in the business. Um, And we came together and just said to each other, let's find something fun to sell that we can make a good amount of money on. That that was the honest truth. We also wanted to find something that we cared about so and being able to put that forward um, and put that out on market. Um, So it was really about searching the market for just an area that was empty. And we kind of searched it. So I would say we started early 2019 with the research on exactly where, where we were going and we launched our first batch of products. Um, we only have two products currently and we launched those at the beginning of 2020.
0: And how do you, how do you launch a product like that?
1: Um, so our first method was solely online, um, but we, you know, the grassroots effort, walking into stores along Hollywood Boulevard and saying, Hey, you want to carry my products, calling distributors, calling anybody I connected with that might've known somebody who could connect me to somebody who was a distributor or somebody in the industry or might've known somebody. Um, And we actually got connected with a great distributor and we're close to signing a deal with them. And it and then COVID hit, so we actually got into our first retail store in the the first week of March 2020. Um, we had already been online for about a month, and got into our first store the first week of March 2020. We're gonna we were gonna sign a deal with a distributor the second week of March, and everything else kind of went to hell once COVID hit. We'll reconnect in about six months when retail will consider taking on uh, new companies and new products.
0: I'm really sorry to hear the timing was so poor for you. So it sounds like, so from, you said, the end of 2019 to, to now. So it's, it's really a, fledg- a brand new business. This is brand new.
1: It, it took about a full year of research and development. We worked with um, sourcing materials, manufacturers. Um, one of my partners happens to be fluent in Mandarin, um, and we were able to develop a very personal relationship with our manufacturers in China. And we have those relationships being developed for the last year. One of the reasons that's so important was because we wanted to prevent our products from being made the same way by other companies, trying to prevent uh, copycats, essentially.
0: Can you use uh, intellectual property laws to protect your processes and your materials and such?
1: There are certain aspects of it, but I think that's really challenging. I think the best way of doing it is just continuously staying ahead of the curve and design good products. And if people want to copy you, they're going to copy you. Um, And you just got to find a way to stay ahead of the curve. Right. And now I
0: assume you can't launch a product like yours using social media because they filter out certain sexual elements of the products, right?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, So much of the internet is Uh, used for pornography and sexuality, yet it's so difficult to market um, sex products. Even as I told you, our products are very clean looking. It's just the picture of the product. Um, So one of the things that we actually have to do is we create ads that um, are more like reviews and we get around some of the social media Rules that block uh, sex product ads, so we can put up a, re- a review by a customer and say, "Oh, this product was so great, blah blah blah," but we may not be able to show a picture of what our product looks like. Looks like, um, but there are certain ways around it, um, and, and and I mean, I, the list goes on. Wix, the website that we use, you can't even uh, their payment processor won't wouldn't accept payments for sex products. So you have to sign up with Square. Square then takes 3% of every um, credit card purchase. So, you know, there's just certain things that kind of come up in the way. Amazon, um, if people want to search directly for our products, they have to first select the health and household category to be able to get to our products. Um, Another issue there is even if you create an Amazon store and get to that stage, which is pretty difficult because you typically have to brand register, have a registered trademark to be able to do that. Um, Once you're able to do that, they still won't allow you to list your products and link them from your storefront. So on our storefront on Amazon, what we actually do to promote our products is we have square boxes with uh, writing that just says search for our products in the health. Health and
0: Um, that's a huge challenge. I attended a art show in, in Miami called Art Basel. It's a famous art show. And I took pictures of a bunch of beautiful things that I loved. And one of them was a was a nude sculpture. And uh, they blocked me off of Facebook, I think, for a few days because they tagged me as putting pornography out there. Social media really does have a lot of censorship, even though they they don't seem to censor a lot of other things. It's
1: sad and it's a a pretty big double standard. I I understand the idea of wanting to censor certain items from people and young kids or people who don't want to see those things but there are also plenty of ways to avoid those people seeing those things.
0: So um, and how, So, you haven't had a chance to see how the sell-through rates go through retail yet. So that's going to be one of the things you're going to measure. How are you going to know? What milestones do you have or benchmarks do you have for knowing if you're successful?
1: Absolutely. So one of the ways to kind of counter counteract the other the, the issues that we've had with Amazon or getting into retail has just been attacking other areas where our business so Etsy's been great for us um, and through Etsy we can track everything how our ads are working, how um, our click-through rates, everything, um, our conversion rates on how many times someone visits to how many times someone um, buys our product. So the reality of it is to know if we're successful I already know we're successful because, um, we became a bestseller on Etsy with two products, um, and within two weeks. Um, Congratulations.
0: So that's fantastic.
1: I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah. so it, like I said, it's a niche category that not a lot of people are in. And, and I definitely think with having a, a story behind us with having a, um, the idea that we really care about the materials the planet, and I think people are buying into that right away. We get a lot of great messaging from our customers and great reviews, so um, being able to track all of that has been fantastic I, I think uh, one out of every three customer customers review our products, which wow that 's huge
0: through the process what would you what did you learn that you did not expect to learn so much <laughs> <laughs> This that's, is the part that I think people who are listening, who are thinking about taking their idea and turning it into something tangible and something that's a real enterprise. This is, to me, these are the the nuggets that that hopefully you'll share now are that which really can be helpful to them because uh, what you did is very challenging. Taking a concept and bringing it all the way to market is such a challenge and I'll I'll bet, you know, halfway through you, you you know, if you were if, at the halfway point, was, was there ever a point where you wanted to turn around, but you were pot committed at that point or, and if not, I want to hear about that.
1: I mean, absolutely. I'll, to be totally frank with you, uh, probably two weeks into COVID hitting, I felt like this was a dead end. I didn't know what was going to be happening. I felt like sales were too slow online. I knew I wasn't getting into retail for at least a decent amount of time. So definitely wanted to quit then. And then it was almost like lightning struck with Etsy and just really killed it on Etsy um, and helped my business tremendously. Um, So definitely a point where I wanted to quit was then, but I've just learned so much uh, throughout, whether it be um, how to market a product, how not to market a product. Um, Tell,
0: elaborate on some of those if you don't mind.
1: Well, discussing how or, or, or addressing uh, how our products are clean. We're, we're totally clean. We went totally opposite what everybody else did. So that was scary. That was super scary. But one of the things that we did, we kind of tested that. We brought our products into stores. I took a sample of our uh, packaging and put it on a shelf next to all the other products it would have been next to. Even without a beautiful, sexy model, it popped because it was different. It, it was clean, white background, and it, just, it, it was simple. Um, everything else was so all over the pe- all, all over the place. Dirty.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very clean looking, professional looking products. It looks like they're made really well and the materials are strong. So it's 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 you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this world, but when I looked at it, I looked online, I wanted to see what the product was like and the part you could see, it it looked like it was it was quality manufactured. It did not look like it was uh cheaply made.
1: And I think that's one of the biggest things uh for us is making sure that a customer never wants to return it. It's not a matter of that they're uncomfortable returning it. It's that they don't want to return it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, we noticed the industry was obsessed with planned obsolescence. These products are meant to break after one use. And we wanted to make sure that our products weren't the same and that uh, you can keep using them.
0: So does that mean your products are more expensive than the rest of the market?
1: No. Um, So that was another thing that we wanted to make sure on. Um, Our margins are still good and we're selling for about half price of the main uh, competitor in the industry. I would say the main competitor in the industry is a brand like Sports Sheets um, and they would sell their bed restraints, restraints, which are one of our products. They would sell those for $69.99 to $75 and we're selling those online for $25.99.
0: So you're really gonna disrupt, then, the competition, it sounds like. Because if you if you get enough market penetration, there's, there's no reason for anybody to buy the competitor. Better product, long-lasting, a, a fraction of the price, that's gotta create some ripples. How, how do you think you're gonna manage that?
1: So it, it's, that whole concept is really interesting, and I think it kinda of plays into something else that has to be mentioned. There are companies like Sportsheets and uh, big brands like Doc Johnson within the sexual wellness industry. Um, and then there's also the reseller brands who just, you know, it's a nothing brand and they just resell on Amazon and third-party sites but they don't really have a brand. They just resell products. Mm-hmm. That side of it on Amazon and third-party resellers they cut into that market. So a lot of those um, companies sell junk products for half the price. So we're trying to be that sports sheets, big time brand online in that Amazon market. So we're kind of trying to do two things. We're trying to be that um, brand in store that can sell for $25.99 um, and cut out other people as um or they can bring down, they should bring down their prices. That, that's the bottom line. <laughs> they bring down their prices. Right,
0: right. But typically what happens is when you, when you disrupt someone who's got a big foothold on the shelf space and, 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 the, and the, the retailers are used to, to carrying that product, they're going to they're gonna typically want to have a competing product to yours and maybe give it the shelf space just because it's, for no other reason, it's just easier to sell familiarized product so that's going to be obviously be a challenge for you and I think I think you uh, the fact that one in three of your uh your users are reviewing it you got to exploit that I hope you don't mind me just throwing out this advice at at a uh, you know ad hoc here but but it seems like you really have to exploit exploit those reviews and
1: really you know do what you can to get testimonials once I realized I'd be out of retail for about six months at least, that was kind of my decision where I knew I had to go to wholesale pricing. I shouldn't right. say 5 um, in January when I was ready to launch. Having COVID hit and realizing that I was not going to be able to um, hit retail stores immediately and most likely for at least another six months from today, I just realized I needed to get down to wholesale pricing pretty much and sell online for the same price that third party resellers were selling for. Um, And that was kind of the conscious decision that needed to be made to keep the business running during this time and uh, kind of survive for um, when we are ready to attack retail. And once we are ready to get into retail, we'll have additional products that will be able to sell closer to the retail pricing that currently exists um, for products of a similar nature.
0: As you build your product line, then do you start putting kits together?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, one of the really cool things about um, expanding our product line is really doing some creative things with materials, getting some cool certifications from companies that organizations you'd never expect. So we're actually working on a USDA certification on bondage products for cleaner materials, which I find pretty fascinating. Um, Help me understand that. I,
0: you got me smiling because I had no idea how that works. So
1: please. So yeah, there's several organizations that would um, Approve or certify that you're using cleaner products. So, really, just sourcing materials that don't rely on petroleum based plastics and uh, finding materials that are sustainable for our environment. Um, and the USDA has uh, a body that will certify companies um, or products. I- I shouldn't say companies, they certify products that use certain materials. So we're looking forward to that and um, hoping that that can be alongside our competitors within uh, retail space and allow our pricing um, to still compete with them.
0: At what point will you know that you're, you're uh, at a success level? How, how, much, how, how, f- how much volume do you have to be doing? What's your timeline? What are your projections? How, how, do you, how do you measure that
1: now at this stage of your
0: game? where you are in that in that uh,
1: metric? Um, so it's really simple. Um, uh, truthfully, it's two sales a day on every avenue I'm on. If I can have two sales every day from two of my products on Amazon, Etsy, um, Shopify, Google Shopping, my own website, if I can get two sales a day, um, that works for me. And then I can move on to my next product line and use the, it's, it's a continuous um, game of taking that revenue from our current product line and spinning that into our next uh, product line. So we're already at that stage where I can launch those second products. It's just a matter of having them made.
0: Congratulations. And where, where, how is it fulfilled? Do you have a warehouse? Do you, do you have uh, outsource that? How do you, tell me how that
1: works. So right now I'm doing all fulfillment myself. I keep most of our product in a storage locker. And then I keep some of the boxes at home as well. And every once in a while when I run out of product at home, I go back to the storage locker and get some more product. Um, and just ship it out myself. I have all the supplies I need at home. I fulfill it myself unless Amazon FBA
0: and explain the Amazon FBA model. If you don't mind, please. Not everybody's going to be familiar with that.
1: Yeah. So Amazon FBA is when Amazon fulfills the seller's products. So what you do is Amazon becomes your warehouse. They become your shipper. They become your customer service for the most part. Um, they accept the returns, send back, send refunds. You don't do that yourself. So FBA they-
0: stands for fulfilled by Amazon. Correct. And they become your 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 basically your fulfillment, your shipping, receiving, and warehousing. And when. Sales come in through Amazon, they just ship it out, and then does money go directly into your account and then you pay them, or does they take their cut and then pay
1: you? So they uh, they definitely take their cut. Um, so the way it works is each product, they take their FBA fees. So each product, they take fees for several aspects, you know, shipping, handling. Um, my products have an added fee um, because they require um, black, um, plastic wrapping over them because they're so obscene. Yeah,
0: but the packaging is, as you said, it's about as generic as you get. It's a white box with a nice little uh, logo on it that doesn't really describe anything sexually. That still has to be done in a
1: black. It's uh, it's very upsetting to us. We're working on several back channels to be able to get around a lot of these things or at least make changes to the way Amazon goes about um, treating um, our products and other products like ours. Um, we find if I were to
0: receive if I were to receive your box uh, in an Amazon thing, it would look like a vitamin supplement to me. It looks like, it looks, like, looks like the most benign product. Uh, you know, there's nothing about it that would suggest it has a sexual nature to it.
1: Absolutely. You know, our bed restraint says bed restraint on it and it has a picture of two cuffs. Our door swing has a picture of what one of the straps looks like and the cuffs look like and that's it and says door swing. So it's it, it definitely tough to have that put on us. You know, it's a that's an extra dollar per product that Amazon takes. So they definitely don't make it easy there. They definitely handle a lot of the shipping and, and again during COVID they weren't helping us at all. My products weren't shipping out for at least a month um at oh, time. No. So I, I During COVID, Amazon wasn't even really working. I think uh, that was really troublesome.
0: Yeah, what a challenge. What a blunt force trauma COVID has been to small business. And, uh, you know, my heart bleeds for everybody in small business right now trying to overcome these obstacles that are not part of anybody's business plan. These are not part of anybody's business plan, especially on the scale that they have uh, been affecting us. So... Hats off to you uh, for persevering. I love that your, your bar is so easy to achieve uh, in terms of being able to f- get you to the next step. I think that must have taken some great planning to get there because otherwise uh, you might have been in real trouble right now. So can you talk a little bit about how you, how you structured your business so you really didn't two per day per, per distribution source is really seems like a very achievable uh, number for, for people.
1: How did you get that? By cutting our margins down tremendously. And like I said, working with our manufacturer on pricing and quality. um, So knowing that our products would sell um, when customers find them. So really, we realize this is not an issue of customers liking our product. It's an issue of customers finding our product. So, so how do
0: customers, how do my listeners uh, who want to check you out? How do they find you?
1: Search Alora on Etsy. Uh,
0: A-L-O-R-A.
1: On on Etsy in the search bar, you can search alloraproducts.com for our website. Um, on Amazon, you can search Alora, but you have to select the health and household category. And you can find us on socials. We're at Alora underscore products on Instagram. Just go to our website, www.aloraproducts.com. You can kind of find about us, who we are, what we want to do, and, uh, and our products.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you something on the spot here. I want to make this a part one. Is that okay? Absolutely. I wanna revisit you a year from now after all these obstacles have gotten out of your way, you've navigated them, and I wanna hear how you've navigated them. You're gonna probably have new problems that you didn't expect to have at that point, and I wanna to talk to you more about this. Is that okay? Because I think you're at a very interesting part of your business, and I think it's gonna get even more interesting as time goes on, especially as some of these uh, roadblocks get out of your way, and you can really, you know, really uh, uh, thrive in your business.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would really love that because to me, I-, I just feel like this whole thing, whether it's just starting a business to how COVID has affected it, just always evolving and the changing environments that we have, how we change as people. I I, w- I would love to discuss how I evolved over the last year um, and how our-, our product line evolved everything. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. Um, hopefully people my age also understand um you know I'm only 33 but I feel like I've worked a lot of different jobs and kind of put myself in a position where I can be successful um and I kind of just want to yeah I'd really look forward to just sharing my thoughts
0: good well I really enjoyed talking with you and meeting you uh, Daniel Rosenberg of Laura, Laura products and uh, I'm going to say I knew you win because I have a feeling you're going to do really well with this. So congratulations and thanks for being on Small BizCast. Thank you so much. For those of you that are subscribers of Small BizCast, we really appreciate it. And if you'd like to be a subscriber, just go to where you get your podcast and hit subscribe. I'd like to thank those of you who connect with us on Facebook and on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. It's really great that we're getting so many shares and comments. We really appreciate the growing audience that we're enjoying. If you'd like to ask us some business questions, have us workshop a problem, or if you're thinking about sponsoring a show, go to smallbizcast.com. There's places there to just click and write in your questions, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Over the many years I've worked at Mercury Document Imaging, we've been solving business problems using technology, and now we have this new reality. Employees are working from home, and companies are trying to stay relevant and efficient and have accountability for their employees while doing so. The big problem is that the cyber criminals are working from home too, and they have been doing this longer and know what they're doing and know what vulnerabilities you've created by kind of throwing this together quickly. So now that it looks like we're gonna be here for a while, it's time to think about this. I want you to reach out to my company. We'll either help you or refer you to a partner that can help you, depending on what the vulnerability is. But the first thing to do is start with an assessment, make sure that you're protected, and then find the weak link. So please call us, 818-782-1221. My extension is 25913. But call anybody at the office. We're all happy to help you, and we want to make sure that we don't have any more problems than we already have. Thanks. In the next episode of Small BizCast, Tony Coretto and I discuss the five pillars of freedom. Tony is an enlightened business leader who understands that being in business is really about being free. He understands what that freedom means, how to achieve it, and what to do when you get it. Here's a sneak peek. And I think that's why a lot of people you mentioned, that, you know, small business people generally don't tend to think about freedom as a primary goal. Maybe they think about money or they think about, you know, this They have an entrepreneurial seizure, as Michael Gerber said in the book, The E-Myth. He said most people, most small business people are are practitioners who just decide, wow, I can do this. I'm going to make a business out of it. And they don't realize that that's, running a business is very different from doing a practice. So we kind of had that entrepreneurial seizure. And what we were interested in was, uh, we thought we were interested in, you know, money and and becoming successful. But one of the things that we kind of overlooked was the self-determination aspect small bizcast drops every other monday follow us on our socials for business tidbits and special offers and send your feedback to jv at smallbizcast.com thank you again to our sponsors mercury document imaging and the small business law firm we couldn't do this without you and of course thanks to my producer and my son charlie volk of mr thrive media couldn't do without him either thank you very much for listening hot dog it's a wonderful life